Welcome to another edition of Running the Race with Rob King. I'm so glad that you're with us today as we continue on through the book of Revelation. We are on Revelation chapter 9. We're going to go verses 1 through 12, and we are in—this is is getting really frightening. And uh, the podcast today will cover the part of this passage in Revelation that is extremely scary. We're— we're in the middle of the trumpets. We're towards the end of the trumpets. Actually, we're on the fifth trumpet. There's these three woes that are going to happen. If you remember, there was a bird of a kind flying uh, at mid-heaven and announcing these three woes. These are the last parts of the tribulation. There's this fifth trumpet. There's the sixth trumpet. And then there's the seventh trumpet, which has the bowl judgments coming out of it. But this fifth judgment is catastrophic, and it's extremely scary. What's going on in the world in Revelation is that God is judging the world. His judgment comes. And so we're so used to hearing about the the coming of Christ, His grace, His mercy, His peace, the fact that He died on the cross for our sins— and, and that is all true, also true, the judgment of Almighty God against sinners. This is God's doing in Revelation. And so, especially as we cover this again today, just to be thinking about the fact that all of these judgments are coming from Almighty God. We start in Revelation chapter 9, uh, verse 1, listen to this, Then the fifth angel sounded... And I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them. As the scorpions of the earth have power... They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. The appearance of the locust was like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men, and they had hair like the hair of a woman, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings. And in their tails is the power to hurt men for five months. They have as king over them, the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in the Greek, he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. And this sounds uh, scary. And it, it it's horrific. I emphasize the word like there because like is used ten times. This this emphasizes the fact that 
uh, John is trying to capture what this looks like, and he's using this, it's like this, and it's like that, which means it's not that. It's not that there were scorpions. They were they were like scorpions, right? And they had, it looked like this, but it wasn't this. This is, this is John the Revelator trying to come up with words to, to tell us what this actually looked like, just to give us a picture. And I think sometimes what is useful, instead of trying to just picture it all and paint the perfect picture of what this might be, but instead to look at the details of the passage and say, what is actually happening? So we understand that Satan has been battling unsuccessfully against God from the beginning of time, right? It's not that there are two great equal powers. Satan is equal in power to God in his evil nature, and they're battling back and forth. It's not that way at all. God absolutely dominates Satan, and it'll be proven in this passage even. And Satan is his errand boy, and God is sovereign over Satan. Satan is not sovereign. God is sovereign over him, and and even uses him in this passage for his glory and for his will to be accomplished. Eventually, he will lock him away. Eventually, during the millennium, he'll lock him away in the abyss, and then eventually let him out just to throw him in, cast him into the lake of fire. So it's not that there's a, a an equal fierce battle going on, and we don't know who might win. No. Uh, but Satan is against God from the garden. He's against God. And then with Job, we see uh, that Satan is against God. He is able to go in and out of, of heaven, as it were, and he is, even in Job, if you read that, he's, he's before Almighty God when God says, have you considered my servant Job? Which at that moment I can imagine Job is saying, please don't, don't mention me, don't, don't mention me, don't mention me, right? The enemy has been fighting against God. I mean, remember even with uh, the Apostle Peter, Jesus said to Peter, the enemy has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. See, in Job, it is it is God who proves that saving faith always perseveres. It's not because Job was so great that he made it, but that he was God's, and God allowed him to make it. It's not that Peter was so great, the apostle Peter was so strong and powerful. No, quite the contrary. But Jesus will never lose anyone who's given to him, see? So during this tribulation... This is a time when the enemy, just like when he tempted Satan, you know, in, uh, in uh, the beginning of his ministry, he came to tempt Jesus. Satan tempted Jesus to try to thwart his plans. He tried to kill all—he did kill uh, many of the children where Jesus was born in that region. There again, just signifying the battle that was, that was raging, right? So— Jesus has been a target of the enemy. Of course, God's plan has been a target of the enemy. God has been a target of the enemy. The church has been a target of the enemy. As we see with Ananias and Sapphira, they, were, they, were, they lied, and then they were killed uh, in church. They were, they were judged. There is this 
all-out attack that the enemy has against the church. Think of the Apostle Paul. He was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, a messenger of Satan. We believe that that's most likely someone who resisted him greatly. In the church, there has always sown among the wheat, there are tares. There are those even in the church who are not saved, who are uh, sent from the enemy to kind of infiltrate from within to harm the church. My point is this. Satan is against God. Satan is against Jesus. Satan is against the church. And in this fifth trumpet, these demons are going to be unleashed and actually able to come to the earth and do damage to men physically. So the destruction of the first four trumpets was uh, to the earth, but now this is to men. There is is catastrophic damage done to men. What happens? Well, first of all, the fifth angel sounded, and a star from heaven fell to the earth, and that star was uh, Satan. This is a reference to Satan falling uh, falling from heaven to the earth. And then this bottomless pit was open. But Isaiah 14 describes it this way. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have been weakened. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. So we see here that the enemy who is used to kind of coming uh, into heaven and out of heaven and and traveling in that way, now during the tribulation, uh, Satan and his demons are thrust out of heaven and they're, they're now limited to the earth. They are cast down to the earth. Revelation 12 will describe it like that. It says this, And there was war in the heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So we see that there's this change that occurs, the enemy and his angels, these demons cast down, and now they're going to wreak havoc on the earth. This happened once before. You'll have to do this study on your own, but in Genesis chapter 6, the enemy tried to infiltrate the world Um, fornicating, as it were, uh, with women. In Genesis chapter 6, you need to read that. Of course, the response of God was to destroy the entire world. The the hearts of men and all the hearts of all men were wicked and sinful and completely against Almighty God. And so he destroyed the earth with a flood. And his judgment was with a flood. And so it's similar now. It's the judgment of every single person. Sinner, unregenerate person. And what's amazing is that during this time, in, in this fierce tribulation, still there will be, it won't, you, you would think, well, it will turn people's hearts towards God. They'll repent. But that is not what happens at all. So the enemy is 
cast down, they opened the bottomless pit. And here's what it says. Then out of the smoke from the bottomless pit came locusts upon the earth. And power was given to them as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion and when it stings a man. And in those days men will seek death and won't find it, and they will long to die when death will flee from them. So here's what we see. This pit is opened up. And from this pit, this abyss, where enemy, where, where demons, rather, were locked away, we see that, in, that demons in the New Testament don't want to be locked away. They talk to Jesus. They say, don't cast us into the abyss. There's this place they don't want to go. They don't want to be locked away where those demons from Genesis chapter 6 were forever locked away, eternally, right? No, they don't want to go there. They would rather go into the swine. They would rather go into the pigs. Remember that? So there is this abyss, but now this abyss is unlocked. Smoke comes out from it. And then once the smoke uh, comes out, these scorpion-like beings come out, vile, the worst vile demons ever known, come and swarm the earth. They are like locusts. They are, they are like uh, what would fly through the air and sting people. It's this, it's this strange thing. Like scorpions, they're not actually locusts, right? They're not actually scorpions. They just appear. This is the best thing that John could say that kind of captures. It's, it's, it's got a stinger. It's, it's scary. Nobody, nobody looks at a scorpion and says, wow, that's a nice well, pet. He's painting a picture for us of what this looks like. These are, uh, I mean, I want to say scary, scary creatures, but that doesn't really even capture it. And this is a this is a banner day for demons because they're given the freedom to go and harm men. And even in the midst of all this, still men won't repent. Now they were told. Now this is interesting because this is the sovereignty of God. They were told exactly what they could do. You can't hurt the grass, which had been burnt, and obviously there had been some time passed, and now that some grass had grown back, you can't destroy the earth, you can't destroy green things, but you and you can't destroy those who have the seal of God. Remember, those who know God have the seal of God from uh, chapter 2. Uh, where it says, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. So he has sealed those who won't be harmed, but all of those who are unregenerate can be harmed. You can't harm the grass. You can't harm this. You can't harm that. But here's what you can do, and here's how long you can do it. God is sovereign over Everything. He's sovereign over everything. Ezekiel 9, 4 through 6 illustrates the fact that God always protects his own. And there's there's this the sovereignty of God that allows certain things and doesn't allow other things. And so in this, he's saying, Go forth, but you can't harm my people. Ezekiel 9 says, The Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on 
on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. So there was a sign. But to the others, he said in my hearing, go through the city after him and strike. Do not let your eye have pity and do not spare. Utterly slay old men, young men, maidens, little children and women, but do not touch any man on whom is the mark and you shall start from my sanctuary. So they started with the elders who were before the temple. This also reminds me of the Passover. The angel of death was coming to Egypt and... uh, Everyone who had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, they were marked. They were saved. They were set apart. This is the same thing that God does now, even with us. You may be thinking, well, I just the enemy just does whatever he wants in my life. Not if you belong to God. If you belong to God, the enemy can't touch you without God's permission. And this shows that the enemy can't touch anyone without God's uh, sovereign permission and his will. So they weren't permitted to kill anyone, and then they were given this limit, torment for five months. Torment is, is, is punishment. It is, it is painful. It is something you want to avoid. And it's like these scorpions were, were stinging men. They were stinging men. And so it was so horrific that men were seeking death and the scripture says they longed to die, but death flees from them. In other words, they wanted to die, but they could not die. This is at a time, remember, when there was all of this other devastation that had happened. The land by earthquakes and volcanoes and think of the ocean and the mess that it's in. This idea that was sold to people by the Antichrist, that there was going to be peace is long gone. The, the thrill is gone. The, the dream of this utopian, you know, people are great and we're going to make this great world, that, that's over. And then even when people attempt to kill themselves, it doesn't work. It says then, the appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle and on their heads like crowns of gold, and their faces were like the faces of men, and they had hair like the hair of women, and teeth like lions, breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariot. This is, this is incredibly frightening. So they had this appearance. They had this crown like gold, which simply means they had power. They had authority. They were able to do what they were sent forth to do. But that's not even the scariest part about them. The scariest part about them, not just the fact that they were ready for battle, but it said they had the face like men, faces like men, which means they were rational. They were intelligent. They could plan. You know, when you're a child... You're often you're afraid of insects and different bugs. And and when you're a child, you assume that that insect has intelligence like it knows. Don't make it mad. I remember when I was a kid, you know, you swing at a bug and well, now now the bug's mad. Now it's emotionally attached to to personal revenge and a vendetta against you because you swung your hat at the the bee. It's not rational, though. You, You get older and you realize it's an insect. Okay, and maybe it can maybe it can sting you, maybe it can harm you, but it, it can't outthink you. 
It, it can't outwit you, right? This is what makes these scorpion-like demons so frightening, is that they're rational. They're intelligent. They have the face like a man. And then even worse, it says they have hair like the hair of a, of a woman, which uh, MacArthur brings out as, as this ability to be seductive. So in other words, they will be able to rationally, logically lure people to their doom. Now, now can you imagine how scary that would be? That it's not just incredibly powerful and strong and has this stinger and it's flying and, and, and it's making all of this noise and there's just this army of them flapping their wings and making all of this sound, but each one of them is intelligent and has the ability to lure you in, to trick you, and then to sting you and to torment you for five months. They have a breastplate, which means they're not vulnerable. They, they can't be destroyed. And the sound of their wings is like the sound of chariots of many horses. It's just scary. And they're sent forth with a purpose to hurt men for five months. Now, eventually, um, the Lord will return these uh, demons to the abyss and then eventually send them to the lake of fire, the abyss where they will be locked up again for the millennial reign of Christ along with Satan and then unleashed only to be then judged and thrown into the lake of fire. It then says that they have a king over them, the angel of the abyss. His name is uh, Abaddon and then a Greek name they give. And some people will say that this king that it's talking about is Satan. Uh, the best understanding of who this king is is actually just a, a high-level demon that uh, reigns over this uh, death that's going on. And so then it ends by saying, this is the first woe. So there's three of these woes. There's two more woes coming. That is the sixth trumpet and then the seventh trumpet that has the bowls in it. So this is only the beginning of these three final woes. And we can see that it's getting worse and worse. What is going on? Why is all of this happening? Does this have to happen? See, if you don't understand the total depravity of man, if you don't really comprehend how your sin stands in the presence of God, what it looks like, how do I want to say this? We are more sinful than we know, and God is more holy than we know. And the two of those things cannot coincide. They cannot go together. There's no uncleanness in God, and there's no holiness in us. It's not just that we're, it's not just that we're people who think, well, I, maybe I believe in God, maybe I don't. No, actually, the, the Bible teaches that in your heart and my heart, before regeneration, we are haters of God. And all of this is done in Revelation for the glory of God. We'll give Him glory for His mercy and His grace that we find in Christ. We'll give Him glory for uh, His sacrifice, the suffering servant who bled in our place, who died in our place, who made a, who made a way for us who don't know righteousness to now know righteousness in Christ Jesus. We will give Him glory and praise forever and ever for His mercy. 
but we will also give him glory and praise for his judgment. Some people have said, why would he allow evil to even exist in the world? It's all for his glory. Because if if he didn't allow there to be evil, though he didn't create it, if he didn't allow there to be evil, we wouldn't know his mercy. We wouldn't know his kindness. We wouldn't know his goodness. We wouldn't know his forgiveness. And all of these things of him deserve his glory. They deserve, how do I want to say this? He deserves our glory to be given completely to him. He's always worthy of praise. Only some will give it, but he is completely worthy of glory. So we can, like Job, we can praise him. Though he slay me, yet I will praise him. This is where a sovereign God always deserves all of our praise. If he's acting in mercy, we give him glory and praise. If he's acting in judgment, we give him glory and praise. He's in heaven. He does what he wants. Everything he does is wonderful and beautiful and perfect. Well, our job is to give him glory and praise in everything. And that's what we want to do. As we read through Revelation, as we read through this horrific judgment, we say, yes, Lord, even so, come Lord Jesus. This is, these are things that Jesus Christ himself warned us about. Jesus didn't paint a rosy picture about the end. Jesus didn't say that there wouldn't be judgment. He actually described all of these things that would happen. He warned us of the judgment of Almighty God. And who better to warn us than Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who, if we will believe in Him, we do not have to perish. But the, the insinuation there is, is very clear. If you believe in him, you don't have to perish. But what does that mean? If you don't trust in him, you will perish. There is a heaven to live in. There is a hell to avoid. And it can be avoided only by faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, I pray today that you know him, that you serve him, and that you give him glory. And uh, just want to say again, thank you for joining us as we continue to go through Revelation. Let me pray for us before we go today. Father, we thank you that you are God in heaven and you do what you want. You are outside of us. You have no need of us. Your word says that if you had a need, you wouldn't share it with us. (laughs) And I love hearing that because we have a God who is sovereign, who is in charge, who is in control, who will have his way and have his will. So, Father, have your way and your will in our lives. Father, if there are those who are listening to me right now who do not know you, God, I pray you would arrest their attention, arrest their heart, that they would, by your grace, repent of their sins and their sinfulness, plead for your forgiveness, and by your design and your desire, God, that you would give them a desire to serve Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father, we thank you that you are a good, good Father. You are right and true and holy, and every single one of your decisions is pure, and your judgment is pure. We praise you for the good things that we see. We thank you, Father, for the difficulties that we've been through. We thank you for everything you've allowed by your sovereign hand in our life to make us more like you, to draw us to yourself. That's what we want more than anything else. I pray for the listeners today, God, that they would long for your truth, that they would long to be in your presence, that they would long by your spirit for your word in their lives. 
May we grow in your likeness and be conformed into the likeness of Jesus by your grace and mercy. And just know, Father, we love you and we thank you for your wonderful word. In Jesus' name, amen.